0: Chris Isha, Chief Executive Centrica, thanks so much for doing the podcast. Centric is obviously a business that a lot of people will know really well, you own British Gas and like millions of other people I'm a customer of British Gas but it's a company that we'll talk about shortly in terms of the opportunities it has and also the transition that it's part of on Green Energy and all of that opportunity opens up including the links that you've got with communities and I guess before we get into this first question I should also declare an interest because this is a company that gave me an opportunity before I was an MP and actually it was was the last place I worked as I was getting elected so it's played its own role in in my own social mobility journey which I'm, I'm really proud about which is why we're so delighted that you're part of this social mobility push that's the Purpose Coalition. Yeah. Centrica's got its own levelling up impact report coming out shortly uh, which will set out a lot of the work that you've been doing but I wanted to really start the podcast by asking you about your own journey I mean. I, I'm not sure how much planning I did on mine, but obviously you've got a, a tough role now. But tell us a little bit about the steps that took you towards it.
1: So, firstly, thank you very much for having me on this, and and hopefully you're a happy customer. of the
0: <laughs> I am. Um,
1: so. I too was an accountant at British Gas, so before I became the chief executive of Eccentrica, before I became chief executive I was the chief financial officer. Spent my life, most of my life as an accountant, working for a number of different uh, companies in different countries. I studied accountancy at university, and when I went to university I never knew anyone else that had been there. And so it was actually news to me when I was in university that you could study something else and become an accountant. So I wanted to be an accountant, my school taught accountancy, which I'm not sure... It's the right thing for a 14-year-old to do a GCSE equivalent. (laughs) It's
0: quite early to focus in, in, isn't it?
1: Very, very early. But the the reason for that is my parents were self-employed and their business got into difficulty when I was 10 or 11 years old, so just Mm -hmm. right at the end of primary school. And we weren't wealthy, but we weren't poor. And all of a sudden they lost their business and we had to move. We lived in Fife. I was brought up in Fife in Scotland and we had to move to Glasgow um, because they went into a different business. Now that's only 60 miles, but at the time it seemed like a different world.
0: So it must have been a massive life change. It
1: was it was it was, was, it was. it was it was. huge. But I remember that the beacon of stability was a family friend who was also the accountant. And, and I didn't think consciously about it. But looking back, I think that probably had quite an impact on me. And I was always good with numbers. So... When I saw the school offered, my high school offered uh, an O grade in Scotland and then a higher in accountancy, I did that. So then I wanted to be an accountant or a lawyer. I was rejected by, I went to Oxford for an interview for law, they unceremoniously rejected me. So I decided, well, that's not going to work, so I'll, I'll try and do accountancy. And so I applied to study accountancy. I got accepted to Glasgow University. I went there, I treated it like it was vocational training. So mm-hmm. I went there, I was, went there for three years. I, I started very young, I graduated very young, and I went in to train as an accountant. And then mm-hmm. since then, I've been very fortunate. I trained with a small firm in, in Glasgow. Um, I didn't get a job with a large firm. I was it was very late. I was worried I wouldn't get a job. So it was very late on. I think most people started to get jobs around October, November time. Mm-hmm. I got mine in April, so I was quite worried I might not have a job at training. An and did
0: accountant. you did you just not apply, or, or what, were did. you focused on <laughs> studies? No, oh, no,
1: no, definitely wasn't that. I didn't really pay attention as we were studying accountancy. Mm. There was there was one day where there was a lecture where the Institute of Chartered Accountants came in. Mm-hmm. With um, and this was before the internet so they came in with a, a booklet and told you how to apply for a job and I didn't go to that lecture I was with someone <laughs> else I think probably in the bar I'm not sure that my mum knows that She's being be a bit upset <laughs> and I started to people started to say I've got a job and I thought well, how do you get a job mm. and they showed me this book and so I was quite late in applying but for some reason I, I mean I didn't know anyone had been to university I didn't know anyone could help me with mm. applications I really wasn't 100% sure what to do but for some reason I didn't get a job and then I was very lucky I got a job with a small firm in Glasgow mm-hmm. and and I was always quite ambitious I was always in a bit of a hurry actually and so I did my training there but towards the end of my training I decided I wanted to go and work for what was the big six at the time so the large accountancy mm-hmm. firms to get international experience and the first interview I got was with Ernst & Young in Aberdeen and again, I'm not sure how I knew about there was different oil and gas tax because I'd worked in an accountancy firm where we did accounts for taxi drivers and the like, so nothing to do with energy. And so on the train to Aberdeen, I read up. I took the um, the, the book from the office on North Sea tax and I read it on the train on the way to to Ernst Young for an interview. And they quite liked that. They offered me the job they had the interview, which was great. I spent two great years there. I went as a to Shell, and I spent mm-hmm. seven years at Shell working in Aberdeen, London, Houston, Port Harcourt and Lagos in Nigeria. And then I went to BG Group, which is uh, formerly part of the same company, Centrica, mm-hmm. part of British Gas. I spent seven years there. And then from there, I've been the, I was the CFO in three different public companies, so a company called Vesuvius, then Smith's Group, uh, the old Smith Instruments, mm-hmm. and then Centrica. And then two and a half years ago, I was lucky enough to be, offer the job as Chief Executive of Centrica and so as you say it is a high pressure job but it's also a massive privilege because it's a company that's right in the middle of the energy transition in the UK and Ireland um, we've got 20,000 amazing people um, but we can really help on the level and Up agenda but also on the, on the journey towards net zero so it's there is a bit of pressure but it's also a massive privilege
0: Yes and like you say it's, it's a real time of change and I guess it's also though a time of challenge for people and mm. I think for anyone listening to this, probably paying their energy bill is going to be one of the biggest costs that they have to cope with. And of course, we've all been debating, people have got deep into energy bills in a way that we probably never expected. So for Centrica, tell us a little bit about how you've gone about working out where you fit into that cost of living challenge and some of the things you've looked at. To genuinely try and help your your customers get through this this really difficult period.
1: It is very difficult, and as you say, people are really worried about their ability to pay their bills. Not just their energy bills, but all of their bills, and they're more they're worried now also about uh, their mortgage uh, bills as well. The int- interest rates going up. Like how we approach this in Centrica in the UK, British Gas has got seven and a half million residential customers, five hundred thousand business customers. We've got another 500,000 plus customers in Ireland. So we, we supply energy to more than uh, one in four homes in the UK and Ireland, so we, we have a huge reach. And as we look at this, one of the questions is how do we help those customers that are most in need? I always believe that help should be targeted rather than blanket mm-hmm. help. Because the more you target the help, the more help you can give to those, to those that need it most. So we have a partnership with a wonderful organisation called the British Gas Energy Trust. We started it in 2004. And to date, we've put in around £100 million. The British Gas Energy Trust does a wonderful job in that it funds uh, charities and it funds charities and other organisations that help people with debt support primarily. Mm -hmm. And so people that have a problem, not just British Gas customers, this is anyone in the UK that has a problem with debt, they can call these charities that are funded by the British Gas Energy Trust. And they do an amazing job, which they have done for almost 20 years. But we decided that that wasn't enough. We had to also put Um, some help there for our most vulnerable customers so in the past nine months we've contributed 18 million pounds Mm -hmm. to a fund where our our, our customers that are most in need can apply for a grant to help with their energy bills of up to 1,500 pounds and the reason that we did that was it's great to help people when they have problems with debt but as the cost of living crisis accelerated what we realize is we have to give people direct help as well now i would love for and, us and to i guess
0: work. to sort of get ahead of that before they end up in debt yes. so if you can work directly with them to stop that then that's a I'm, huge benefit
1: I, 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 absolutely and also just to help them um we launched earlier this year a campaign um called stop the silence because mm-hmm. we realized in partnership with the british gas energy trust that one of the biggest issues is there is shame attached to getting into debt and people will often not talk about it and so our initial campaign was to say to people look it's okay If you're in debt, talk to somebody about it, seek help. Talk to one of the charities that the British Gas Energy Trust. Call us, tell us, don't avoid our calls. Tell us the problem, we'll work with you. We work with customers. We've got hundreds of thousands of customers Mm. on payment plans. So if our customers can't afford to pay, we'll help them. Mm. But if they don't talk to us, we don't know how to help them. Putting the direct help there was also very important. What we've also done is we've committed that for the duration of the energy crisis, we will donate 10% of the profits from British Gas Energy to this fund. So mm-hmm. it's not a one-off contribution of 18 million pounds. This will be an ongoing support fund, so that to, for as long as, as people are struggling, we'll help them with
0: 10%. And that's a really significant decision. It's not it's not a nothing choice, if you like, of a, a board led by you to to take that step. So how how do you go about? sort of getting to the point where you're like, okay, 10%, it goes straight into there.
1: So look, I'm, I'm very fortunate in that um, not only do we have 20,000 great colleagues in the company, I have great colleagues in my leadership team, and I'm fortunate to have um, very supportive directors. And so as we think about these things, for this specific fund, we made some donations earlier in the year, mm-hmm. and, and as it became clear that the cost of living crisis was getting worse, mm-hmm. our chairman and I had a call. And uh, we we speak very regularly, but I called him to say, look, I think we need to do more. And, and it was quite interesting because he had been thinking the same thing. So quite quickly, we had a conversation to say, well, what do we think we should do? And we out- aligned on the fact that we should give a portion of our profits mm-hmm. to help our most needy customers. And then once we're both happy, then we have a conversation and our colleagues on the board were, were happy as well. So I mean, very fortunate to have people that want to do the right thing. So it was actually... We can make quite quick decisions in, in, in Centrica, um, but that's only because we've got—I've got, I've got the, the support of my board, my leadership
0: team, which is where having the right culture comes and 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 having people people all on the same plate, um, which has been really powerful. And of course, the other piece of this, in a sense, you've got this cost of living crisis and levelling up and social mobility, and they're they're two sides of the same coin, aren't they? They're the fact that. It's always the same people are on the front line of these challenges, because where you tend to start really shapes your life chances. And it's often where you tend to stay. And so a lot of the work we've been doing is about breaking that cycle. And I know for Centrica, that's been something that you've really focused on. So tell us a little bit around how you see that levelling up challenge from a a centrica point of view and obviously, you know, your role within that purpose coalition we've got.
1: One of the best things about this job is we are a significant uh, employer in both the UK and Ireland and we can offer opportunities. I mentioned that I was quite worried as to whether I'd get a job as I was graduating, but I remember quite clearly getting the letter and it literally changed my life. And so one of the things that we, we did last year, we had stopped effectively recruiting and we also weren't training enough people to come into our industry. And, and and that has a whole bunch of of ramifications for business in the long term. But what it means is you're, we're not giving people opportunities. Mm-hmm. So we restarted our apprenticeship program uh, at the end of the first quarter of 2021, and and, and it's quite interesting because when you're looking to, to to really increase your activity in any area, people can become a bit worried. They're not sure whether they can they can they can do it. But our team responded amazingly, and in the second quarter of 2021. We recruited more apprentices than we had in the previous four years combined. Wow! Now, eighteen months later, we've got nine hundred new apprentices in. The majority of them start as smart engineers, and after mm-hmm. fifty-four weeks, they're on twenty-nine thousand pounds a mm-hmm. year. Uh, about another hundred and fifty or so are trading as gas engineers because they had some existing uh, engineering qualifications. And and the way I look at it is, th- those are that's nine hundred people. That if we get it right, we can help them change their lives. Th- these are well-paid jobs that we've got. We've also hired. 600 newly qualified engineers now, those are people that have been to college and got their qualification, but mm-hmm. need the work experience. Mm-hmm. So today we've got 1500 more colleagues in our industry, in our company, than we had 18 months ago. And,
0: and has it been hard to take on that that extra? Because there's this one thing about scaling up with an extra 20% or 30%. There's a difference between quadrupling. How's it been for everyone else? How do you get them to be able to accommodate that?
1: So. Look, it's it's been tough. It's been tougher for our colleagues that that run these programs than Mm -hmm. it has been for me. But one of the things that we learned through COVID, one of the things that fascinates me is ingenuity and adaptability of human beings when they have to do something. Mm. So in COVID, we had to figure out how to work from home. Mm -hmm. And now it's the norm. One of the things to add is that from day one, our new apprentices, our new recruits, a great health and well-being plan and it's the same for everyone in the company. So if you join the company today, you have the same health and well-being plan that I have, the same health care cover uh, that I have because we believe that it should be the same for everybody. And, and so one of the challenges, I think, when you're running a company like Centrica or in your previous experience when you're running a government department is how can you push hard enough to make something happen but mm-hmm. not so hard that it all breaks. That you break things. Mm. And we've got amazing people. So there have been some bumps in the road. And that's normal, it's to be expected. But the best thing I can do to help colleagues is to be quite clear up front that I know it's not going to be perfect. I know that there's going to be bumps. And so often when you ask somebody for a plan and something, they give you a straight line. And you say, the only thing you know is that the line will be wiggly, it won't be straight. <laughs> and that's okay. As long as you know you're doing the right thing, then you stay the course. And, and this is the right thing. Now, this is, this is the right thing to do as a human being. We need to give people opportunities. Mm -hmm. But it's also the right thing for our business. If we don't train, we are the largest installer and servicer of heating systems in the UK. If we don't train people, then who is? We won't have enough people to do the job. We have our own academies. We have four academies in the UK, so we can train and certify our own engineers. We effectively run colleges. Mm-hmm. That's a massive competitive advantage. I found out last week, actually, or two weeks ago, in Centrica we have lots of regulators, but we've just passed our Ofsted inspection. And we're inspected by Ofsted because we educate our apprentices.
0: Which is no mean feat, I can tell Apparently you that.
1: so. I've, I've, I've heard, I've heard <laughs> that to be, to be the case. But it's. I remember being asked when I took this job at first, and it was, it was a really tough time for the country and for Centrica. Somebody said, How would you. What would you. What would represent success? And it was an investor and I said, very easy, I'll stand up and present results one year, we'll have increased the number of people that we're employing and you'll think it's a good thing because we're growing. Because we had been in something for years whereby we have been proudly presenting, we've lost 1,000 jobs, 2,000 jobs, 3,000 jobs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And and I hated that. Even though I was the finance person and we had to get cautious. Right, I hated that because the conversation when you talk about that is it's not really honest, which is we need to get people out of the company because our costs are too high, and then our customer service suffers, and then our customers are not happy. Whereas I'd rather flip the conversation around, which is to say, actually, we need enough people to give the right service to customers. We need enough people so that we can grow going forward. But we then need to have an honest conversation with our customers, which is, this is what the product costs, whether it's energy mm-hmm. or whether it's mm-hmm. services. And I'm very much in favor of having that very honest conversation, but it's it's a real privilege to be to, to know that we've got these new colleagues in and we've also been focusing on bringing in ex-forces colleagues. I saw that. So we've got a programme for that, more than 10% of our apprentices are, are ex-armed forces. We've committed mm-hmm. to bringing in 500 uh, ex-armed forces colleagues um, by the end of next year. So.
0: so it's it's not only widening that pipeline of talent, mm-hmm and almost formalising it with your approach with the academies, but then also making it be a pipeline that really gives opportunities to people who particularly might otherwise not have got that chance. Absolutely. So it's it's a double win. And do you feel for Centrica, for everyone else who's already here, it's steadily giving a different sense of what the business is about that that's a, a positive one?
1: Oh, definitely. Look, I think that it's, um. I'm- passionate about uh, diversity and inclusiveness and it's not because I think as a human being it's the right thing to do but I also think it's the right thing for business. As a customer facing business with more than 10 million customers we really have to, to understand our customers we have to be like them, we have to look like them, we have to sound like them and whether it's gender diversity whether it's ethnicity, whether it's sexual orientation, socio um, socioeconomic background and we've got lots of colleague networks so that we can uh, we can understand and learn from our colleagues. I think I learn from having Diverse colleagues around me, and, mm. and I hope my colleagues feel that way as well. Um, so it makes it makes us better. It helps me make better decisions. I think it helps us be a better company.
0: I, well, I think that's one hundred percent right, and I think the evidence around how that drives better decisions and better decisions drives better returns. I don't think anyone disputes that now either. So it's the right thing to do, but it's also the smart thing to do. And I think, am I right in saying that one of your biggest networks is this Veterans yeah. Armed Forces Network across the Yeah, we
1: we'll call it the, the, uh, the, so the X-Forces Network is part of their Pathways programme, but we've got networks on for uh, sexual orientation, gender diversity, um, fertility, so support mm-hmm. mm-hmm. for colleagues fertility, um, menopause. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got, I think, 13, 14 different uh, networks, carers. So the carers network is very, very important. Um, we give our colleagues 10 days paid leave, carers leave. So you've got people, that, there are millions of people in the UK that are the primary carers for, for mm-hmm. children, for elderly um, relatives, for uh, disabled relatives. And, and it's really important that those people have the same opportunities in the workspace. So we do that by, by having a flexible approach to work, which we adapted uh, or we've, we fine-tuned, I would say, during COVID, but we've retained a lot of the um, the flexibility that we brought in through mm-hmm. COVID and um, post-COVID now. And uh, and given those people, the opportunity is very important because otherwise they're excluded from the workforce. And if they're excluded from the workforce, then they can't earn, and if they can't earn, then they can fall into poverty and that's it just doesn't feel the right thing and they've got different very different experiences they understand what it's like when our customers who are carers call Mm. if they're speaking to customers they understand they can empathize that's very important
0: i think it's really i think it's hugely important and also it's just great talent isn't it why why would you want to miss out on it as an employer if making different moves and changes to the business means you? you can offer that talent an opportunity and it can, it can thrive. I think
1: you're right. It depends what you think. So where, um, I've always been very relaxed about where people work and, and when they work. And I, I had a, an event that had quite an impact on me. It was years and years ago when I worked for Shell and I went to visit PricewaterhouseCoopers, uh, an accountancy firm at the time and set up a tax processing centre in Birmingham. And I went to visit it to have a look. They were our auditor. And, and I asked the person running it what their biggest learners were first one was quite funny because he said you can run a paperless office and literally he said that just as the printer behind them started up, which so, <laughs> proved that, that wasn't the case. But, but the interesting thing he said, so I asked him what it was like if you moved to a city and you're, you're going after all of these tax people, what what did you do to wages? Did the costs go up? And he said they had something that they hadn't anticipated, which he said, when you're doing tax returns, you can plan a year in advance. He said, so in the 1st of January, you know what you're doing on the 15th of October. He said that allowed us to have an incredibly structured um, offering to colleagues. And therefore, he said, we found the majority of people that came to work for us initially were um, primarily mothers who were carers for children Mm -hmm. who weren't in the workforce. Mm -hmm. He said, so rather than compete with other companies, we offer something different. And that meant that we accessed a whole area of the the workforce that didn't exist beforehand, which means that we've got people who are incredibly loyal, but Mm -hmm. we've also got a competitive advantage because we offer something our competitors can. That had a huge impact on me, um, and I want us to be the same in Centrica, I want us to offer our colleagues in Centrica something that our competitors don't offer. Um, so for example our call centre staff now still can work from home. Other companies mm-hmm. have demanded their call centre staff mm-hmm. come in. We found that they're as productive if not more productive at home than they are in the office. They like it at home and so we say once a month you've got to be in one day a month in order that you can maintain that connection with your colleagues. If people want to be in more that's absolutely fine but it's got to be something that is consistent with good customer service but gives maximum flexibility to colleagues. So they can work from home, they can save the commute, they can have different shift patterns, they can save money if they're spending money on the commute. So, um, But if we can offer our colleagues something that our competitors don't, we're a more attractive place to work.
0: Indeed, and it's a battle for skills and talent at the moment, so that becomes really important. And obviously for Centrica internally, part of the things we focused on pulling together this levelling up impact report has has been the work on mental health Mm. and well-being that you've done and obviously for Centrica now externally that's being recognised. Tell us a little bit about how you support staff and in a sense how that fits with what you've just been discussing around this wider opportunity push you've had.
1: When I joined Centrica I was really impressed um, because I saw reference to mental health first aiders, I'd never heard of it before. So in 2018 when I joined the company I'd never seen that so we were I think quite advanced in our thinking on, on mental health. It's something that's very important to me personally. I lost a brother to suicide um, more than 15 years ago and, uh, and I've been surrounded by mental ill health all of my life so family members thankfully um, so far my mind's been okay but it's something that's very dear to me personally but the company was already in a very good place. What, what we do is we try and encourage people to talk so a bit like our Stop the Silence campaign for, for mm-hmm. debt um, yesterday I had two sessions with our new starters so we have one in the morning one in the afternoon uh, we had over a thousand people that started with the company in the last uh, 15 weeks and we come on we can have a chat we can talk about what it's like in Centrica and then we get a Q&A session so they get to ask me any question that they want and I have to give them an answer because I'm there on screen and it's live and, and, and I think it, it sounds glib, but one of the ways is to make sure that you have those conversations. It's one of the things, actually, I worry about with the working from home thing, mm-hmm. which is, will people reach out? So we've got to be better as leaders and as managers mm-hmm. to make sure that we reach out to our colleagues and understand how they're how they're doing.
0: And all your all your managers have that mental first aid training, but I guess if it's a more remote relationship, then you almost need to rethink how to make sure that still happens effectively.
1: I think that's right. One of the things, though, it's become quite clear to me and it should have been obvious but, but through COVID is what we're doing with our customer service agents who are the people answering the phones working from home is actually no different to what our engineers have been doing for years.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Our engineers have had their van on their drive, not on the street outside their home. They've got up in the morning, they go out to work and they come back. And so actually I feel a bit remiss that it's taken COVID for us to say, okay, these are the issues that we need to deal with, but actually yes. we've yeah. got these 7,000 amazing engineers that have been dealing with this for for some time and 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 what it is is making sure that for example does your manager check in with you Mm. do they check in with you each week and that sounds very obvious but it's not been necessarily happening uniformly some check in on a daily basis some don't and so there's some there's very basic things that you can do but one of the things i always look at is do leaders and managers know their team Mm-hmm. now you don't have to know every detail some people are very private they don't want to share anything about their private life but do they know their team do they know what's going on in their life and do they know how they're feeling and, and I think that's a basic requirement of any leader you've got to understand so that if you see a change in people's behaviors you can you can ask them how they are and you can get them you can give them help so there's something about you've got I think you've got the care to be an effective leader you must care you must care about people
0: I think well spot-on and probably as we come towards the end of this podcast in a way you at the beginning of it talked a little bit about this broader shift we've got on you know Centrica as an energy business and we're in the middle of effectively probably the biggest shift economically that we're going to see in a long long time you grew up in a part of the country you know with north sea oil and gas that really built a lot of a country on the back of it. I grew up in a bit of a country in South Yorkshire that was right there at the beginning of the first industrial revolution and energy transition. Now we're onto the next phase all over again. But obviously that's something that you're not just steering the business through, but all of the rest of us, you know, people like me who constantly think, I probably ought to have had a smart meter by now. Am I too late? All of that. You're definitely not too late. We can get one for you. I, (laughs) I think I'm not too late. But tell us a little bit about, we talked about communities, tell us a little bit about how you steer the rest of us through that transition.
1: I think it's as part of of a broader coalition with government, with other uh, energy companies and and other non-energy companies. In order for us to achieve net zero, we need to have a significant increase in electrification, more wind, more solar, and we need to have decarbonised gas, so hydrogen. And we work Here, and I personally work tirelessly to push that point. And the reason is that there are a lot of, what I find most frustrating is a lot of vested interests. So there Mm -hmm. are a lot of people who tell you that hydrogen won't work. I saw somebody recently saying there is no expert out there who can tell you that hydrogen will work for heating in homes. And that's just untrue. And it's unhelpful. So I get very frustrated where we've got either people that will simply talk their own book, as I would say. So they've chosen one technology and therefore they rubbish other technologies or um, something whereby we have in action. The UK has 28 million homes. Five and a half million of those homes can only be decarbonised with heat pumps, Mm -hmm. electric heating. We have to get after that. Six million homes can only be decarbonised with hydrogen. We have to get after that. And then the 16 and a half million in between, it could be either. Now, we are the UK's largest supplier of gas. We're also the UK's largest supplier of electricity. So we actually, we we don't mind. We don't have a vested interest in one winning out over the other mm-hmm. our name un- is our name's a bit unfortunate because people think because we're called British gas that's why we push hydrogen we push hydrogen because it is the only way to make sure that you can decarbonize properly and if we don't have hydrogen it will be the poorer in society who cannot decarbonize
0: because those are the millions of homes yes. that need that solution
1: poor quality homes that are poorly insulated um, that will never be suitable for heat pumps. You can also look, if you walk around in London, if you look around at lots of the flats that are about, very difficult to put a heat pump in the side of walls mm-hmm. of buildings that are listed. It's just not going to happen. And so there is, I, I believe strongly in a just transition, we mm-hmm. cannot leave anyone behind. And so we've got to have an honest conversation and, and rather than try and plan for perfection, accept that with these two bookends of five and a half million for heat pumps, six million for hydrogen, let's get after them and let the bit in the middle sort out. Unfortunately, and sometimes we find this in, in dealing with uh, with bureaucracy is that we say, well, what about those 60 and a half million homes in between? And we therefore, that's a way to avoid getting after these other parts. We say, mm-hmm. well, let's just figure that out when we go along. It's, um, it's, it, it's a literal interpretation of being an agile uh, company and we try to be to be agile as we push. So so we need to see a blend of new technologies and there's room for a lot of companies. So we are investing yeah. behind this in Centrica. We have um, we own Europe's largest gas storage facility, uh, the rough field not far from where you grew up off, uh, off the Yorkshire coast. And that is a field that used to store lots of gas. It stopped storing gas in twenty seventeen. But we've kept it going because we see this as being very suitable for hydrogen storage. As you know, there's a lot of work going on in the Humber estuary to decarbonise industrial. What we'd like to do is to refurbish the rough storage facility so that it becomes Europe's largest hydrogen storage facility. That will cost about £2 billion. It will create around 3,000 jobs and it will enable the decarbonisation of an industrial cluster. This uh, Initially, the Salt End Chemical Park, the Humber estuary, these industries where it's very, very difficult to decarbonise unless you go to hydrogen. Mm-hmm. But what it will also allow us to do is to put hydrogen into the gas network as well. Because if you want to start to use a different product, you've got to know you've got to know that you've got enough places to store it in case your production facilities have any issues. And if we can get hydrogen into our heating systems, into our national gas transmission system, then we can continually increase our use of hydrogen. And that has this it has multiple benefits in that it helps us decarbonize in the UK. And if we get this right, we can decarbonize well before twenty fifty. But what it allows us to do is to ramp up production. And the UK um, is very, very well placed to become, once again, a net energy exporter. Um, because of the physical characteristics it's got, it can produce blue hydrogen or green hydrogen. And actually what we could see, which will help with, given what we've seen in Ukraine recently, is the gas flow in Europe should is currently from east to west. Mm-hmm. And if we get it right in the UK, we can make it go from west to east. So the UK could, once again, become a net energy exporter. And that's good for the country because that will create jobs and it will ease pressure on the public finances and it will allow us to invest. So that's the future. That's how we've got to move. And in Centrica, we're taking part in uh, hydrogen village trials in Ellesmere, near Ellesmere Port in the in the northwest mm-hmm. uh, and and also in the northeast. So we can prove that hydrogen works in homes. So it's all linked up. But the key thing is this will create well-paid jobs. And I think that's what levelling up is all, are, all about. Leveling up is giving people well-paid jobs so they can make their own decisions and they can continue to improve as you go generation on generation. I think that's very, very important. Intergenerational uh, improvement is is, uh, is something that intrigues me and hopefully we can deliver in a small part in Centrica by creating thousands of new apprentices. We've committed to do one a day for this decade.
0: I think it's a fantastic ambition and I also think We're sat in London at the moment and one of the things I love about London is you can see what the Victorians did. It's just this incredible city and yet for a company like Centrica with all your gas engineers literally being able to look back on helping an entire country shift on that energy transition, I think is, is something that's a genuine legacy. To be proud of if you've been part of literally helping to deliver that, putting those smart meters in place that mean I can finally have another reason for switching my my washer on for two hours in the future, or, or whatever it is that currently I just do for sheer convenience, I'll be able to do for a tariff in, in the future. So all of it I think is, is hugely valuable. Now I've got two fun questions. One is going it's all going back to you know your own journey. So best piece of advice, when you look back best piece of advice you were ever given Chris what do you you think it is?
1: Be curious that was the best piece of advice I think Just don't think you know the answer, ask questions so my mum says I've got two eyes, two ears and one mouth and I should use them in proportion I I don't always get that right but the essence of that is to be curious so it's interesting that you you say that about managing the energy transition being our legacy because this would be the second that we've done and in reality we've done A number of energy transitions. We started off lighting gas lamps in London. We actually still do that today. We light the gas lamps around Westminster. But when the UK discovered natural gas and transitioned from natural gas to town gas, an interesting point is town gas was hydrogen, fifty-five percent hydrogen. So we've been a hydrogen economy before. But what that required was that every appliance in every home in the UK that worked on town gas had to be adapted to work on natural gas. We did that. We did every single gas appliance. So it's not that we did 50% of them. We were the only company. So we have done an energy transition like this. We know how to do that. We did that in in the 1970s. And it would be absolutely fantastic for us to do that again in the 2020s and maybe into the 2030s, but I'm ambitious enough that maybe we can get it all done in this decade.
0: Great ambition. And if you were giving some other advice to somebody starting out right now on their career, other than be curious, what do you think that would be?
1: I think it's a great question. Um, Try and do something that you enjoy, something that interests you, something that you find fulfilling, because if you do that, then I think you'll do it better. And and also find find a working environment that you're comfortable in that is inclusive and find one where success is rewarded so that you don't have to worry about internal politics or anything. something where if you're good, opportunity will come. And, and one of the things that I didn't know early in my career, but, but I see it now later in my career, is that if you're in the right company, the bright lights shine incredibly bright and it's easy to see them. When you're in the pack, sometimes you don't know that and that can <coughs> induce some odd behavior. Um, so the thing is, you know, find a place where you'll be comfortable and where being successful is actually what's required to get further success.
0: Great advice. Chris O'Shea of Centrica, thanks so much for leading the podcast. We're really delighted to have Centrica as part of the Purpose Coalition and thank you for that leadership on social mobility.
1: Justine, thank you very much for having me on. Thank you.